Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. For Monday, September 19th, I'm your host, Victor Menashe. If you're loving what you're hearing on the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, go out and tell two friends today. Show them how easy it is to subscribe to the show. The Real Estate Espresso Podcast can be heard on more than 20 different platforms, and wherever you listen to podcasts, you're sure to find the show. Go spread the love around. Why keep all this goodness to yourself? Today's show has nothing to do with real estate. On today's show, I'm going to give you a historical perspective on a behind-the-scenes trade that, if it occurred as I observed it, would have evaded international trade sanctions. The Cold War between NATO countries and the Eastern Bloc, led by the Soviet Union, initiated in the wake of World War II, when it became clear that Stalin, while an ally during the war, was an ideological and military threat to Western democracies. For many years, the embargo on the Soviet Union was quite severe. The embargo on Eastern European countries was less stringent in the hopes of driving a wedge between the Soviet Union and its allies. Two of the most independent Eastern European nations, specifically Poland and Romania, were given fairly mild treatment. Now, with the growing detente of the 1970s, trade restrictions on the Soviet Union and its allies were lightened, most notably with the permission granted to the Soviets to purchase large amounts of American wheat when Soviet crops failed in 1973. But then the restrictions were tightened again after the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan in December 1979. And then in 1983, Ronald Reagan approved the National Security Decision Directive No. 75, which set the policy of using economic pressure to limit foreign policy and military options of the Soviets. Now at that time, I was a young engineer. I had just joined Bell Northern Research, where I was responsible for the design of the central processing unit of the equipment that routed telephone calls within the phone network. My parent company, Northern Telecom, or as it became later known, Nortel, manufactured and sold that equipment all over the world. Our team had developed the world's first fully digital telephone exchange. Most of the sales were within North America, but increasingly Europe, and eventually sales of our equipment happened all over the world. We had a licensee of our equipment in Turkey through a company called Netash Telecommunications. Netash supplied equipment to Turk Telecom, which was the operator. But Netash also supplied and installed our equipment to other parts of the Middle East. Back then, was illegal under trade embargo for world's most advanced telecommunications equipment to be installed in Russia or any of the Soviet bloc countries. Well, it turns out that Netash was indeed supplying Nortel equipment into Russia, but Nortel could not accept payment from Russia directly because it was legal to conduct trade with Russia. Now, I was personally not involved in any of those dealings, but I did have colleagues who were stationed in Istanbul where they were on loan to Netash to assist Netash with their international clients. The hallway legend, as I heard it at the time, was that Netash supplied equipment to Russia, who in turn paid for the equipment, the software, and the ongoing technical support in vodka. Netash then did a deal with a third party to turn the vodka into cash, which was then sent to Nortel. I don't believe income from vodka would have appeared anywhere on Nortel's books, since the transactions were all being handled by Netash. As far as Nortel was concerned, they were selling equipment to Turkey. The reason I'm telling you this story is to lend a measure of credibility to the current day stories that Turkey is actively involved in the laundering of trade from Russia, despite the current embargo on trade with Russia. I don't know what deals are happening behind closed doors. I truly have no idea. But international trade can happen in many different forms. It can involve bartering of commodities, and it can involve third parties to obscure the actual transactions. I'm not saying that anything is or is not happening, but I can tell you that the stories I'm reading 
don't feel like they're in the conspiracy theory category for me. They seem highly plausible based on patterns of conduct that I've personally observed dating back to the early 1980s. The notion that a price cap could be imposed on Russian oil and enforced is completely laughable. There will be other barters involved that don't involve the transfer of cash. Maybe we'll see munitions from other countries appearing on the battlefield in the Ukraine. Oh wait, there are actually reports of munitions being shipped from North Korea to Russia and of drones being shipped from Iran to Russia. Again, I have no direct real visibility of these current day transactions. International trade can and does take place in ways that are designed to evade regulations. While today's show had nothing to do with real estate, hopefully you found it interesting. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.